standing and open your Bibles to John chapter 4. John chapter 4, verses 1 through 26. John 4, 1 through 26. And God's word says, Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I might not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband, for you've had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you've said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Please be seated. And let's pray one more time and ask the Lord's help as we encounter his word. Lord, we pray that you'll help us. We thank you for your Holy Spirit and the promise of your spirit as we read your text. We pray that the words of our mouths and the meditation of our hearts will be acceptable to you. And we thank you for doing what you will do and thank you that we aren't trying to figure you out but that you've told us about yourself. And we, again, thank you for the help of 
the Holy Spirit as we listen and learn. In Jesus' name, amen. This is a semi-familiar passage of Scripture. I bet you've heard a few sermons on it in your lifetime if you've grown up in church. I always used to say uh, it's one of my favorites. Uh, Sometimes I say it's my very favorite. I love this passage and what we see about Jesus from it in this encounter with this woman who he saved. Uh, This is a woman who would be considered a hopeless case, quite likely, for receiving the good news and responding positively. You can see the disciples surprised when they came back that Jesus was even talking with her. Uh, I don't know, I thought about this this week, would this have been as big of a shock as when he turned water into wine? Uh, A different kind of surprise, but a surprise nonetheless. And it says in the text that we'll get to next week, because we've split it in half, uh, they were surprised he was even talking with her. What kind of uh, Jesus are we disciples of? So you've got to come back next week and hear the rest of it. But uh, for now, we're looking at what Jesus is doing as his ministry begins. So in our text, in John's Gospel... We have Jesus starting out uh, with the wedding and the miracle at the wedding of Cana, the water into wine. He moves into Jerusalem, and it talks about the great surprise. There he was in the temple, throwing out the money changers, cleaning things up. He attracted some followers because he was doing great works, it says. It doesn't tell us what those great works were. Uh, He said, I don't need these followers because... The Bible says he knew what's in the hearts of people. But he attracted one follower who he spent some time with, and that was Nicodemus, coming from the religious elite, coming to him uh, for a nighttime meeting. Uh, We assume it's because he didn't want to be seen. The Bible doesn't say that explicitly, but it implies that it was a clandestine meeting. And Jesus gives him all the time that he needs and wants. He speaks to him about himself basically shares the gospel with him. Remember, we had that that most famous verse in Scripture, uh, John 3.16, comes from that conversation. Jesus then moves out of Jerusalem and into the countryside, and there's uh, some baptizing going on. We learn in this text it's not Jesus doing the baptizing, but there are disciples being gathered, and some of John the Baptist's disciples are a little jealous of of the acclaim that Jesus is getting and, and how he's attracting the disciples. And John the Baptist gets one more opportunity again in our text to say, no, this is how it's going to be. I was just the one talking about Jesus. Jesus is the bridegroom. It's all about Jesus, and we're happy when that happens. Remember that verse, he must increase, but I must decrease. And now we find ourselves here. We find ourselves here where Jesus is out there gathering these disciples. Uh, The first four verses of John chapter 4 that we read just a couple seconds ago, actually. But it says, When he learned the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, verse 3, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. It's not that he was afraid of the Pharisees, but there was a timing issue involved. Jesus came to do, uh, ultimately, to die on the cross as the perfect sacrifice for his people's sins. 
But there was ministry to do. There was teaching to do. There was gathering of people to do. There was a life that was laid out for him. And it wasn't time for him at this point to have these confrontations with the Pharisees early on. But you think of how jealous they were. Think of how they were watching. They sent people out there, you learn from the other Gospels, people out there to check on John the Baptist and what's up with him. And now it's growing even more for Jesus. Uh, we, better, we better spend some spies. Somebody's cutting into our turf. And Jesus says that's not uh, the time for this confrontation. So the Bible tells us, it says, he, and he had to pass through Samaria. Had to pass through Samaria. And uh, I've preached it this way, and, and you've heard it this way, um, and you might have heard, but some of you, this might be brand new material. So if we had a map, we could show you. But uh, to get from one place to the other, where Jesus was going, down there to Galilee, uh, on the map, there was this little part of the country, this little nation or state, whatever you would call it, called Samaria. Jewish people despised the Samaritans. They despised them so much that many of them would take the long way around, even though it cost them time as the crow flies. Uh, they didn't even want to go there. I had a friend who got uh, arrested wrongly, I believe, and he sure believes it, in New York. And 15 years ago, he won't go to New York State, New York City, no nothing. Uh, if it's New York, and he travels a lot for international and for business and all that, uh, he won't fly into New York or out of New York. He just stays away from New York because of something that happened, and he despises New York. Well, that's kind of the way some of these people were from uh, the Jewish people. What did they have against the Samaritans? What would you think they would have against them? And it goes back, goes back. Uh, the Samaritans were of mixed race. Uh, the Samaritans were Jewish, but they had been populated, and you can read about this in Kings uh, with, with various peoples. Uh, they worshipped sort of like the Jews. They claimed to be, um, uh, they were monotheists, but the Jews accused them of being polytheists. They had the first five books of, of the Pentateuch. They, they, they held them as sacred scripture, but they didn't acknowledge Psalms or the 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 historical books or, 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 or the prophets. And so there was just a little different. It, it tells us, I believe, in the text that, that they didn't go worship in Jerusalem. They had their own place to worship. So they were kind of like, but they were different enough. And they were despised. They were despised. And there was a long history of tit for tat. You can look back to where the Jewish people came in and destroyed their temple and Sort of like uh, you read about, or if you, if you study a little bit about the Bosnians and the, and the Serbs, uh, you can go for peace right here, but there's long memories and stories handed down, and so you had that kind of a thing. And yet, some of the Jewish people were prag pragmatic, and they said, we've got to get there, and we've got to get there. It was interesting to me that uh, disciples went into the nearest town, I'm assuming a Samaritan town, to buy the food. So they weren't that way, but this is what it means when it says... Uh, we think about when we see Jesus had to go through Samaria. Well, he didn't have to go through Samaria. Why would the biblical language say he had to go there? And we know from reading the text something that we call a divine appointment. Jesus had to go through Samaria because he had a woman to meet there. He had some gospel to share there. Uh, he had a, a city to ultimately proclaim truth to. And Jesus had to go there. 
and that's why they went, and they went that way. So the very first point of a sermon, and I hope we understand it, is this, is when it comes to God's heart, and we're going to see this, because this, this woman hit all the check boxes, um, when it comes to God's heart, every life matters. God's heart is for all lives. Race is not an issue with God. Jesus could sit and talk to the Samaritan woman. He could defy those odds. Uh, you see all of these passages in, in Old Testament scripture saying Jesus will be lifted up and, and the nations will flow uphill into it. The nations will come. When God was promising and forecasting Jesus the Messiah, and he said to Abraham, from you all the nations will be blessed. Uh, Christianity is not just a regional, local thing. God loves people, and people have been saved from all races. The sex of a person, whether they're male or female, is not an issue with God. Those days, men didn't speak to women very much in these long conversations. Um, I just finished that book that I was, was reading to, an audio book I was listening, I Am Malala, and she talked about what it was like and, and what happened when the Taliban came in. And all of a sudden, women started being treated as property and possessions and nothing. Cover your heads, cover your faces, leave just a slit. No education. Women are, are made for one thing, and that's the, the pleasure and the duty of men. And, and her resistance of that. We see residue of that. This was not what it was like in Jesus' day. There was a, a, um, a restraint, though. There was a, a way of, of uh, not talking. Uh, and men and women were different uh, in their minds. Not in God's minds. Male and female created them. And you see equal, equal, equal. But in society's minds, uh, there was a little bit of a difference. And they weren't talking. And that's why it says that when the disciples came back, they were shocked that Jesus would talk to a woman. Okay. Time to recalibrate. Now we're talking about Jesus. What do we know about Jesus? We know fully man but we also know fully God. Father, Son, Spirit, part of the Godhead. We talked about this yesterday in our men's group, talking about the three-in-one, and this Saturday we're really going to get into Trinitarian-type issues. But Jesus is God. Jesus said elsewhere in the Scripture, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Uh, they wanted to kill him, and ultimately their beef with Jesus was that he claimed to be God. He's God. And so when you see how Jesus treated human beings, that is what? That's how God treats human beings. And there might have been a cultural norm against getting too chummy with, with women and strangers and all that stuff. Uh, Jesus, uh, we know the other thing about Jesus, he never sinned. So he was perfectly sinless in this, and it's right him having that conversation was a good thing and a right thing, even if it busted out of what culture uh, at that day said. Not saying that men married men 
don't need to be careful in their conversations with people, women who aren't their wives. They told us about that and warned us about that in, in pastor school. Uh, they said uh, uh, sometimes you, you get too chummy with somebody who's not the person God puts you with, and you end up telling them your hopes and dreams. You start sharing them. You start living and thinking to impress them. And before long, long before the physical adultery happens, the emotional adultery happens. We're not saying go be best buds uh, with, with someone not your wife, with a woman not your wife, if you're married. We're not saying that. We're not saying that that's what was going on here. Uh, there is a way to be careful. Uh, the phrase that used to be around, I read this, I think it was Wall Street Journal 10 or 15 years ago, but the phrase, and I, I hated it, I cringe whenever somebody would say it, well, I'm his work wife, uh, she would say. And, and the wife would say, and they'd get together for company things, and, and the wife would say, yeah, they know each other really good because they work together. And I'm like, be careful about that. That's not what we're saying. We're saying that women are not and never have been second-class citizens, and Jesus was eager to share the good news about who he was with men, with women, with Jews, with Samaritans. And the next category, the socioeconomic status did not matter to Jesus. Jesus shared the call of the gospel. He said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. And Nicodemus was on one end of the social strata. He was a leader. He was plowed. He was the teacher of Israel, as as the, the definite article is put there in the text. And at the same time, he could say to this woman, uh, who no one would have ever heard of uh, in, in the popular circles, I'll give you living water. Jesus did not uh, discriminate on persons' socioeconomic status. He was accused even. Look what he's doing. He's hanging out with these uh, uh, prostitutes and tax gatherers. He's not one of us. He's, he's violating the norms. Well, he didn't stick to just that group and say there's no hope for you elites. He took the gospel to the elites. He took the gospel everywhere because he knew all of us are, are hopeless and helpless without his saving power. Song that said blind men, sad men, dreamers with wishes, paralytics, lunatics, and the back street fringes all find a place and a home at your table. You make them well because you're willing and able. And Jesus came for his people, and they were people from all across. Just take society and just take a slice of it. Pick up the newspaper and just write down what kinds of people you see in there. Uh, nationality, sex, uh, um, economic. And there's people just like that that have been saved by Jesus. He didn't discriminate on any of those things. And the next point is so much like the first that it could have been folded into the first. That's how I set it up originally. But I think I wanted to draw attention to this one especially. So it's the second point. God's message, first point is this if, if, you're, if you're keeping score at home. God's heart is for all lives. Uh, second, God's message is a message of salvation for all lives entangled in whatever sinful lifestyle. Logically, if we are following the Bible, the Bible basically boils it down to two groups of people. There's two kinds of people in the world. Not as, as Bobby Fischer did, two kinds of people in the world, those who play chess and those who don't. 
not that. It's not those who are Cardinals fans and everybody else. It's not anything like that. Two kinds of people in the world. Sheep and goats, the Bible says. Saved and lost. Spiritually alive and spiritually dead. Heaven bound and hell bound. Those who've drunk the spiritual water to never thirst again. And those who exist only on this earthly level where they drink the physical water and have to keep coming back. Two kinds of people. Somebody walks into the room and they say, freeze, and we all freeze. They say, okay, now examine yourself. Which one of those people are you? We're not saying that some Christians closely resemble non-Christians in the way they're living, because they do. And we uh, sometimes get surprised. We know God's working on them. We want God to work on them in a certain way, and then we'll, we'll declare them as Christians, uh, where God's working a different way. We're not saying that there are people who uh, are non-Christians who act a lot like Christians, and we wish everybody acted like them. I had some great moral neighbors once, and they never, ever stole my newspaper. Good. We like people that don't steal the neighbor's newspapers. We like people that obey laws that, that uh, don't follow you too close or, or do those things. That's not salvation, though. There are two kinds of people in the world. There are saved and lost, people who have been given and drink of that living water and people who don't and haven't. Uh, and the key word is yet. Put that word yet in there always. Um, this woman was in one of those two categories. And she was in the category at this point when Jesus met her of one who needed the living water. Jesus said that. If you knew who you were talking to, uh, you'd ask me, I would save you. So she was clearly not saved. She herself, in her own lifestyle, acknowledged she was trying to hide what she'd done. Uh, Jesus said, go, go tell your husband to come here. And she goes, I don't have a husband. And she was telling the truth, like we do. But, uh, you know, the t truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth is, is, is something else. She wasn't telling the whole truth. And, and I don't blame her. She's keeping that hidden. But the fact that she was ashamed of it a little bit, the fact that later on she ran back to her town, and we'll get to this next week, and said, come see a man who told me everything I ever did, uh, and had received some forgiveness and, and some sense of relief for that, shows that, that she hadn't had uh, the most moral of a lifestyle. She wasn't living the most moral lifestyle. The next step in our logical thinking as we think about God's holiness, about two kinds of people, uh, is to say this. It doesn't matter what is acceptable to society or not. All people who are not right with God are sinning against God in some way. For all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. Nicodemus was a sinner in need of a savior, even though he was one that people would aspire for their children to be. This woman was a sinner in need of a savior, even though she was one that perhaps uh, people would not aspire their daughters to grow up like. And Jesus looked at both of them lovingly, caringly, and shared the gospel with both. He didn't see the distinction. 
in the way that we might. And my question for you and for me is this. Uh, which sins are harder for God to forgive? Which ones does God, which sin does a person come and confess to the Lord and say, uh, and God say, uh, I guess I said I would forgive it, so I guess I will. What sins are those sins? Uh, I don't think the Bible says there are any sins. The, Jesus said, whoever comes to me, uh, whoever the Father gives to me, uh, will come to me, and I will in no way cast them out. And people have come to God uh, from every sort of wicked, sinful lifestyle, including the sin of, of, of pride and, 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 and selfishness and worshiping themselves. It's not C.S. Lewis Day, but I do like how he, how he um, distinguished, he talked about the various kinds of sins, and, and, and it's kind of like we think that the animal, the base sins, the sexual sins, the addiction sins, we kind of make them the worst. And, and he says that's actually, uh, the hardest ones are the ones that uh, after, you've, after you've come to the Lord, the ones to deal with are your sins of pride and self-righteousness. And I'm not going to get this right, but I think he asked the question, um, say, take somebody who's, um, um, yeah, they're sitting against themselves, they're, they're filling their lungs with cancer and they're smoking and, and they're, they're, they're just continually uh, hurting the body and the temple God gave them. Would you rather have lunch with them or the person that's going to sit across from you and brag about how they used to be a smoker and now they're not? And, and his conclusion seemed to be, and, and mine too, give me the smoker. <laughs> I'm not the proud person who thinks that they are somebody so much better than everybody else that's not. Uh, both sins, both sets of sins, all types of sins are condemning type of sins. And Jesus did not make the distinction. And we must not either. What sin that you repent of and ask Jesus to forgive you for, what will he say, no, not that one? The woman comes to the pastor and she says, Pastor, I got to talk to you. Fifteen years ago, I, I ended the life of my daughter with an abortion. Can I be forgiven for that? And the pastor wants to let her know he's not going to pass judgment. He's going to say, well, you were young then. You were this. You were... And she says, no, Pastor, that's not what I'm saying. I'm not asking you to make excuses for me. I've made excuses for me. I want to know, can I be forgiven? for treating that person made in God's image as just a piece of medical waste or a tissue to be experimented on. My daughter, she'd be 15 now. Can I be forgiven? And the pastor who knows the Bible and who shares the Bible says, absolutely, you may be forgiven. Absolutely, uh, you may be forgiven. You come to God, whatever it is, whatever lifestyle, whatever you've done, whatever you're thinking about, there is forgiveness for. We can't distinguish and say this is, this is the sin that God won't forgive because it's the sin that, that bothers us the most. And in the way that we approach and love people, um, we can ask God to help us uh, to be God-like as Jesus was and to sit and have the conversations and to think and give the time and, and do what needs to be done. And race must not be a, a barrier.
person's sex must not be a barrier. A person's socioeconomic uh, status must not be a barrier. And a person's chosen uh, lifestyle of sins, what what they've done if it's different than yours, must not be a barrier. It wasn't to God, and God can help us with that. Jesus said, whoever comes to me, I will not cast them aside. I think I wrote it better than I said it, so I'm going to read, read what I You're going to hear what I just said, but you're going to see it in a, in a written way that's, that's better. Because God does not discriminate based on race, sex, economics, or in sins of choice. Do Christians have any biblical excuse for doing the same? What did Jesus do with, with all of these lives that he encountered? What did he do? He held out the invitation of the gospel. He held out the invitation of the gospel. And here it's living water is the, is the phrase of choice. Happened to be at the well. God has listed a priority. So third point as we get ready to uh, tie things together. God has listed a priority for all lives. And that is to receive him. To receive his salvation. To become, as the Bible says, in Christ. If any one's in Christ, if any man's in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things passed away. All things are become new. Doesn't give a, a um, uh, don't have a bouncer at the door saying, show me your ID. It's everybody come, come, come. There's an offer of the gospel that is freely given for all people. Um, that's, that's Calvinism. The gospel invitation is there. We want to go up to the next level in some of the books we're studying and looking at. Uh, we can talk about, about God and God being the saver. But there is a free, extended offer of the gospel to everyone, and it's legit. In the last chapter, Nicodemus, he said, you must be born again. Here he says, you need living water. This is not to deny, and, and, and God knows we have physical needs. Uh, Jesus, it says, was worn out and tired, and he sat there by the well in his earthly body. And the disciples went on in. I thought, well, maybe Jesus, as a carpenter, wasn't conditioned to do all the walking, the fishermen and all that, but what about the tax gatherer? Or maybe it's just some days you're just a little more tired than others. He had a real body, and this is just proof Jesus had a real body that got really tired and really thirsty. And God's not saying you don't need a drink. Hydrate. That's biblical. Jesus said, i got to hydrate. I need some water. But he's saying, uh, with all of these physical needs that we have, uh, that we look out for for ourselves and our kids and, and for each other, or people are looking out for it for us, with all the physical needs, there is something greater and deeper and more lasting, and that is the spiritual water and the spiritual substance. Jesus knew he had needs. What did he say? Foxes have dens. Uh, birds of the air have nests. Son of man, nowhere to lay his head. He understands the, the need for shelter. And what did he do? Old sinful Adam and Eve hiding in the bushes, making their fig leaves. He goes, I'll get you a better coat than that one because you need good clothes if you're going to live on this earth in, in a fallen state. Uh, physical needs are not, uh, are not bad. They're not to be ignored. 
but he's saying there is so much more. There is the spiritual need that each person has. The body's life lasts for a finite amount of time, but there is a part of us that once born will last forever. Everyone has a human soul. And that soul doesn't just go uh, decompose in a grave uh, along with the body. And he's saying, I want to talk to you about uh, this earth stuff is fine and good and necessary. And you're going to have poor people with you always, he said. And he didn't, he didn't say that to say don't take care of them. He's saying you're, you're going to always be taking care of them. Uh, maybe you're going to be the poor that somebody's going to take care of for a while until you take care of some other poor. He's not saying that, but he's saying lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust don't corrupt and thieves don't break in and steal. It's funny, I was typing this and, and my spell checker said, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and Russia don't corrupt. And I'm like, I must have hit two S's or something. Um, uh, well, don't worry. <laughs> maybe, maybe that can corrupt, but he's talking about the things of earth getting rusted out and gone, but up in heaven, there's something more. And he's saying that's greater and bigger and more important. And here he says, I'd like a drink. Something interesting that I didn't have time to really think about in the sermon, but think about the, um, the, 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 the purification of the, of the utensils. And here was God saying, this is, would go back into point one if I was going to say it, which I'm saying it, so put it back in point one. Uh, he, he'd drink out of the, he would drink out of the utensil that was contaminated and dirty without the purification process. Think about that. I'll tell you a story one time. I got in a jam one time. I'll tell a story about this guy named Victor down in Pensacola when we were down there. We did street called street evangelism or witnessing. It wasn't stand up and, and, and yell at people, but it was get to know the people. And there was this drunk guy named Victor. Victor was part uh, Native American. He, he would joke with us. He'd tell us we spoke with a forked tongue. And we just knew Victor. One time I tried to take him into a restaurant in Pensacola, and the guy said, you can come in, but he has to stay out. And, uh, and, and I rode my bike down from college, and I was sweating. We would say back then, I was sweating like a grease pig. I was sweat humid. And this Bible college I went to made us wear ties to college and ties off campus. So we looked like Mormons and not Baptists. And so I'm riding my bike down there to to go talk to Victor. And I am just about to die. And Victor said, hey, can you buy me something to drink? And all I had in my pocket was enough for a big gulp from 7-Eleven or whatever they called them. And so Victor, (laughs) he was drinking and then he looked at me and goes, you need this more than I do. And I'm thinking, oh, no. What do I do? Where's that mouth been? What's going on? And I didn't want to drink it. Thought about all the missionary stories where they ate and drank all those things, and God protected them. So I said, God, protect me. But, but for Victor's dignity and for me not to despise him, I got to drink it. And I drank it. Ended up in the hospital. No, I didn't. Drank it, and everything was all right. But um, Jesus... For the dignity of the woman, he said, forget these laws. He was so united with her. He wanted her to to share the dignity of her giving him a drink. And and she's flabbergasted. How come you are talking to me? How come you are asking a drink from me? She's never heard that. 
Um, that's a wonderful picture of our God because remember Jesus, God the Father, God the Son, that's Jesus. That's how God acts with people he's seeking to redeem. So he's telling her about the living water. This is the living water. This is, this is where it, it closes. Think about what Rick read about the passage of the water just flowing and flowing and flowing. That passage is a good one to look up on your own later uh, to tie in with this. But Jesus uses the phrase living water. So what does that mean? How, how, well, I told you it means salvation. Why do I say that? Where does the Bible say that? Where's the proof? And so, uh, so just some passages. First of all, later on in John that we'll get to in a few weeks, John 7, 38 and 39. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And John gives, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, uh, the inspiration of scripture, he says, now he had said this about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So later on, Jesus is continuing to talk about this living water and it's the Holy Spirit, which happens when a person comes to Christ. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Uh, look back uh, with me to these four Old Testament passages talking about how living water means being right with God, uh, being a Christian in our terms, being saved. Uh, Jeremiah 2.13 God says, for my people have committed two evils. First, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and have hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Water is tied in, and holding water and receiving water, and that refreshment is tied in the Old Testament with being right with God. In the New Testament, Jesus comes in and puts the capper on it and says it's called living water, and it's found in me alone. Jeremiah uh, 17, 13. O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you shall be put to shame. Those who turn away from you shall be written in the earth, for they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living water. Some of you might be thinking of Isaiah 55, 1 right now, where uh, the prophet says, Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And then one you don't hear so much, but Song of Solomon uh, 4.15, the description of the bridegroom's garden to which the bride is beckoned. And it's described as a garden fountain, a well of living water, and flowing streams from Lebanon. Christianity, God, God says, come, be saved. You're drinking these things that you've got to keep coming back to. Uh, Old Testament, you're, you're fixing up cisterns to hold water and they're all broken and you've forsaken me. I'm the living water. Jesus says, come to me. Come to me. You and I, like the Samaritan woman, have a life that is important to God. No matter how you think others see you or how you see yourself, you need to realize that there is nothing in your life that can keep God from you. You don't like your life, maybe, or you, you think you don't like it, things you don't like about it. You don't wish you were a different race, a different sex, a different background. You think your life choices act as a repellent to God. Uh, think again. There's more to life than this. Uh, it's a rat race to some people. 
For some people, it's a carnival, and they're having the time of their lives. And I'm kind of, when, I, when, I'm, when I'm in my glum, gloomy mood and I'm thinking it's just a rat race and a drudgery, I'm kind of jealous of them. But we're both wrong when, when I'm that way and when they're that way. Uh, there's more to life than this. It's not just a carnival. The Bible says, surely everyone, get my mouth untangled, surely everyone walks in a vain show. Vanity Fair, uh, it was called in Pilgrim's Progress. And someday the music will stop and everyone will scramble to their chairs and there'll be no chair for you because the game's over for you and you're off the stage and you can't win. And the question is, what will you do then? Well, if you're drinking from the living water that Jesus offered, if you are repenting, you're putting your faith in uh, the God who took on flesh, was tempted as we are yet without sin, yet died on the cross to bear the wrath of the Father so that we can become the righteousness of God in him, you'll be okay. In fact, you'll kind of be kind of glad there was no chair for you. It's time to, time to go to heaven. About time, God, what were you waiting for is, is what you're going to say when you get there. Jesus is the perfect God-man. Jesus is sinless. Jesus bore the wrath of God the Father so that the people he came to save would not bear it, but would become the children of God and live forever with him in eternity. Don't create some imaginary barrier that's there, that's not there. Let's see what this woman does. It's a great story. Maybe that's why it's, it's so beloved, is because of the ending. Well, you can read ahead and then come back. Let's think about it next week. But for right now, uh, understand, you need Jesus. You need to drink from the living water. And if you've drunk from the living water, um, then good, Christian. Say, God, give me your heart for people that God had for people. And let's pray and see what God does. Wrapping it up with a different gospel instead of John, just to, 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 to wrap things up and to put a, put a summary on it, Mark 1, 14 and 15. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the gospel. Take a good, long drink of the living water. Amen. Lord, we thank you for salvation through Jesus Christ. We thank you that, that uh, uh, when we uh, were convicted of our sins and we saw that we were apart from you and we were given by the Holy Spirit this desire to repent and, and, and we, we saw uh, for the first time our eyes were open and we saw that Jesus was our only hope. We thank you that when we came to you, uh, you did not cast us out say not no to you, but that you received us. We thank you for the salvation that is there through Jesus Christ alone. In his name we pray. Amen.